language is a living thing. New words and phrases, or even grammatical shifts, mean that a lexicographer's work is never truly complete. Our to-do list is, is still very long. Uh, I have 2,500 terms yet to be defined. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward. Today I'm speaking with Brian Garner, the editor-in-chief of Black's Law Dictionary and president of Law Pros, Inc. When we return, he'll share with us what goes on behind the scenes to produce Black's Law Dictionary and give us some sneak peeks into what fresh material the newly released 10th edition has to offer. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com. Black's Law Dictionary just came out with the 10th edition, correct? Yes. Okay. What are some of your favorite words that were added to the 10th edition? Well, there are about 7,500 new terms in the 10th edition. I mean, favorite words? I'm rather partial to some that you might think would have been in Black's Law Dictionary for a very long time but never were included. Among my four favorites are reason, reasoning, rationality, and rationale. And those terms never had been in there before. Uh, You might say, well, why weren't they? We tried to get in all words important to lawyers and judges and used by legal scholars, Uh, but it takes a heck of a lot of work and and review, and um, it takes time. Uh, What's your work process for finding new words? Do you keep a list between the different editions? Do you have a board you take it to? How does that work? Well, I'm essentially the board, but Mm -hmm. my colleagues and I, we scour legal sources for words and phrases. That includes not just judicial opinions, but also legal scholarship and and treatises. Uh, We scour journal articles and law-related news magazines. This is the way professional lexicographers tend to work. And and then look at what we have in blacks to see whether we've already covered the terms that we're finding. We also engage in a systematic reading program of legal treatises to be sure that all the different practice areas are are well covered, and we're always on the the alert for legal slang as well. You mentioned words from specific practices. Do you keep a list and say if a word comes up like say a hundred times in the past five years and it's not already in the black dictionary, do you think, oh, that would be a good one to add? Well, we don't wait until we have a hundred citations. Once we are aware of a word, we do some looking at Westlaw and Lexis as well as at our files. And if if it has been used with any frequency at all, it will tend to be to find its way into the dictionary. But our to-do list is, is still very long. Uh, I have 2,500 terms yet to be defined. Um, mm. We did what we could with the most what we thought to be the most important words for Black's Tenth, but I have a constantly growing list of potential headwords in Black's Law Dictionary. In this one, we added a lot of new dog entries. There are all kinds of of uh, different kinds of police dogs listed. We also have all kinds of bombs listed that are new for the Tenth Edition: cluster bomb, fire bomb, letter bomb, petrol bomb. 
Now, you might say, well, do those really need to be in the, in the law dictionary? But they do appear in, in various criminal contexts, and it seems useful to, to include them. We also have a lot of scholarly terms that you simply would not find outside scholarship, such as feminist jurisprudence and jurisprudence of difference. Um, that's an interesting phrase, but these are, these are new phrases, and new terms and phrases are called neologisms. And uh, so a lot of neologisms that have only recently appeared, let's say since 1990, have made their way into the book. But it's not as if we have uh, simply put a whole lot of slang into the into the book, but we have included some terms like judgeitis. And what does judgeitis mean? Well, I'm I'm particularly proud of the definition of judgeitis. I don't have it before me, but it's something like an emotional disequilibrium in which a judge mistakenly equates respect for his or her office with personal grandeur. It is something like that. Okay. So it's basically a judge, the, 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 the syndrome of a judge's feeling full of him or herself. I was get, get, can we really boil it down and say a judge who takes him or herself too seriously? Yeah, but it's something more than that as well. Uh, but that, that boiled down, that's that's close. How do you decide on the slang terms? Like I believe bench slap is another term that made it <clears throat> this time, right? Yes, well, that was a word that I was unfamiliar with. It kept on coming up in things that I was reading, and then I found out that an assistant U.S. attorney in New York named David Latt had coined that and a few other words, but it was making its way on the blogs all the time. Right. And um, so I decided to include it. I think it would be difficult to understand current legal blogs and therefore, to some degree, even legal conversations among many lawyers if you didn't understand a word like bench slap, mm -hmm. which is simply a, a, some kind of public comeuppance by a judge, typically of a of a lawyer who appears before the judge who's being in some sense, uh, figuratively slapped down. Okay. And you mentioned with the slang terms, do you think that in some courts, it might, in the right setting, of course, it might be okay to use some slang terms in a brief or maybe even in an order? I think it's possible, although slang, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I don't include slang in my briefs. Uh, I wouldn't do that. That's precisely why we have the label slang. There are some lexicographers um, who are debating whether to cut the label slang altogether. I served on a committee uh, uh, this last summer looking at the future of the Oxford English Dictionary, and I was the only lexicographer out of 50 in the room who wanted to retain the term slang. Most of them want to do away with the distinction of slang terms versus standard terms. But it is a broad category. It strikes me as being uh, a useful one. And if nothing else, a warning to the user of the dictionary that this is a rather low or jocular term. It is not a term generally used in first-rate print sources. But okay. you, don't, you don't altogether exclude terms from dictionaries merely because they fall into a category like that. And the 
The percentage of slang terms in Black's Law Dictionary, my guess is it is less than less than a tenth of one percent of the of the terms in Black's are labeled slang. Can you tell me how does your vetting process work? Is it something where everyone uh, who's involved shares their opinions in person? Uh, do you write like letters or briefs to each other? How does the vetting process work? Well, a lot of people somehow think that lexicography is a very leisurely process. Uh, it is not. Th- throughout working on Black's tenth, I had five lawyer colleagues. So there are six lawyers on the project, two paralegals, and one intern with a bachelor's degree. And basically what happens is that a term is suggested. One lawyer at Law Pros researches it. And if it's used with any frequency, goes ahead and drafts an entry. And I typically have a, um, a, a daily quota. I have an hourly quota. I want every lawyer, when we are working on blacks intensively, I'm expecting every lawyer to do at least six definitions, six entries per hour. So there's a kind of quota, and if you're working eight hours, you're you're supposed to come up with uh, 48 terms that day. Now, that is actually difficult to achieve because some terms become very um, complicated because they have multiple definitions, and and then there's historical research to be done uh, on the word. But for a first cut, that is usually not a bad guideline. I can pretty reliably do 50 terms in an hour, um, but it, but it depends. Uh, we have to look at a lot of sources. That's only a beginning point. Once we have a draft, there are two rounds of substantive revisions by lawyers other than the original drafter. So whoever whoever drafted the definition originally, it gets looked at very skeptically by by two other. Uh, lawyers, and then there are multiple rounds of editing and proofreading by everybody on the on the team. So there are these huge word lists that are being produced, and um, it is a multi-layered process of vetting. I'm curious. You mentioned the research of the words initially. Um, does the research just involve reading, or do we, you and your staff maybe interview lawyers in certain practice areas to make sure you really have the meaning correct? Well, we look at we look at law reviews and articles. That that's actually much more useful for the most part than interviewing or or sometimes I will be teaching a CLE program. I teach dozens of CLE programs every year in advocacy, persuasion, legal drafting, contract drafting, that sort of thing. And a term will come up that I, if I'm unfamiliar with it, I will have a lawyer in the room draft an explanation of what that word means, and then we'll talk about it over lunch, a a small group of us, and and I may leave a CLE with uh, three or four new terms that I take back to Dallas, and then we independently look at the literature to be sure that there are print sources that, in fact, uh, corroborate the definition that we're working with. But typically, I'll have to rewrite the definition substantially Mm -hmm. um, in the first place, merely to get it worded 
correctly. Uh, but there are lots of sources like that. I have a lot of lexicographic allies. I must get probably, oh, five emails a day relating to terminology, and they're very useful. It's, it's, that's something that I learned from my friend, the late Robert Birchfield, editor of the Oxford English Dictionary, is you want to cultivate allies who will send things into the dictionary department to be considered for inclusion. And anybody who cares to, my email address is bgarner at lawprose.org, L-A-W-P-R-O-S-E dot org. That goes directly to me. And uh, we welcome suggested inclusions in Black's Law Dictionary. I may use it in one of my other books, such as uh, Garner's Dictionary of Legal Usage, but these things are very helpful to a lexicographer. I'm going to assume that when you go to events, you must meet four or five people who say, Ryan, I have a word for you. It happens all the time. I love it. (laughs) And, you know, the mere fact fact that there are some omissions, occasionally somebody will come up to me very gloatingly suggesting that, ah, you missed this. Well, (laughs) we we have included so very much, and the book is... uh, uh, Black Law Dictionary in this 10th edition has so much historical depth and such breadth of coverage that, yes, I don't uh, consider it any great shame that there are other terms that could be included. I want to know about them always for the next edition. In fact, that's partly how the 10th edition got to be uh, so very full and well-developed. But uh, you can always play that game with any lexicographer, and there's there's nothing to to be ashamed of that some term is not included. The main reason for excluding most of the 2,500 terms that are still on the list uh, to be done is simply that uh, we thoroughly drafted and vetted, what, 7,500 new terms, and um, it was impossible to reach them all. So you try to do triage and get to the ones that absolutely need it. Somebody just sent me an email yesterday about the word chaste that I need to include an entry for the terms chaste and unchaste. And I agree. They ought to, they ought to be in, in Black Law Dictionary because they have legal significance, those terms, in certain ecclesiastical and family law contexts. And uh, so uh, my intention is to include them. Um, I'm curious, is one of the reasons that you enjoy working with these new words is it seems to me, particularly those Perfect new words that everyone seems to kind of understand it for the most part. Do you enjoy working with these new words? Because it means when you write, you can lose, use less words to explain yourself. Right. Well, often a neologism comes about because it does pithily express an idea for which we had no other term before. And, and so expression does tend to become more and more economical. But uh, I think words are just a joy in themselves. Lawyers are professional workers in words. We're professional writers of nonfiction. And I think any serious writer needs to take words very seriously, collect them, think about them, and be a master of them. And so to be a lexicographer in this field is uh, particularly interesting. Some people harumph about neologisms. They always have. 
and I try to be pretty conservative about the inclusion of slang, as I say. I don't rush to include neologisms until they've shown some staying power in the vocabulary. I think probably the most fertile field of new terms is, in fact, legal scholarship more than than judicial writing. And that is an aspect of legal writing that I think uh, earlier editions of Blacks slighted a little bit, did not include enough of, because I think Blacks is always traditionally, like other law dictionaries, had a litigation bent, and I've tried to broaden the book. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Stephanie, thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.